didn't know much about this particular, uh, we, we didn't know what else came with HIV. So I would basically say, do not open tubes or anything on the benches. Uh, everything has to go into the hood. So there's a, there was a lot of, you know, um, you know, by the time I went off, I never had a headache because I'd hardly be breathing. And then there was only, uh, there was only one other person that I knew at the BC, BC uh, Disease Control uh, who knew how to grow HIV. And she showed me how to grow it on T-cell. And I had to grow a whole batch of HIV. So that'll be good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we could do incidence control uh, for our experiments. Yeah. And and I was the one who was the sacrificial lamb where to do this. And I I kind of uh, you know it was all done under a very uh, controlled environment where you still gotta really be careful how you do it. What does metal fabrication have in common with HIV research? Nothing. Really? Nothing. 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 Yeah. S same, same. But somehow you made that pivot from HIV research to metal fabrication. And I honestly don't know how you did it. But uh, welcome to How It's Med, the podcast where we chat with amazing people uh, such as Dr. Nina Villani. Um, she has done amazing work such as setting up a lab with the HIV Center for Excellence at St. Paul's Hospital, as well as working to turn a metal fabrication facility to sustain profitability. And then now she supports health tech or early stage startups uh, in a variety of roles. So uh, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it. I'm really excited to chat with you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks, Nina. Um, for, for the rest of you. Uh, Nina and I uh, have known each other for a little while and it's been awesome working with her and she has seen Goose pop into the screen multiple times as he will keep doing. Uh, but I guess normally the question that we ask when we have physician founders is like, you know, why do you go into medicine? But I mean, I, I, I think that you have a more interesting story to tell as to perhaps why you didn't go into medicine and why you went to research instead. Well, I, uh, I wanted to go into veterinary sciences, actually. I wanted to be a veterinary uh, doctor. Uh, and uh, uh, unfortunately, I had to flee my country because of political unrest. Uh, so I came, um, uh, uh, you know, I came, into, I came into Canada and I was very happy to be welcomed into the country. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have the resources to go to med school. I had to work through university. And uh, I did have the grades to go into uh, med school or veterinary medicine, right. but you know it's just too bad that I I, I, I just wasn't available to me because of uh, the funding. So I got a scholarship to go to, to do my PhD, and that's how I ended up doing my PhD in pathology, in the Faculty of Medicine. So that's great. Mm -hmm. I guess like vet school, honestly, just thinking of the amazing just diversity of biology that vets have to get used to and learn like that is absolutely fascinating so mad mad respect for for vets but i guess just relating back to that like instance where you had to go for research instead i know it might be you know it might be in the past but like was that was that choice that you had to make uh or a choice that was made for you perhaps was that choice to go for research difficult for you and like how did you feel about that back then 
Well, I, I had to be practical. That's because you, yeah. you come into this country as a refugee or as an immigrant, uh, you just, you're just happy to have any opportunity given to you and you just yeah. grab it. Um, so that's what happened. Uh, I just happened to, um, you know, do well in virology and immunology was my other passion. Uh, veterinary sciences would have been my, my most, uh, you know, I was very passionate about them since I was a child, mm -hmm. but you know, it being just two schools in, in the whole country, uh, there was no way I could have supported myself through that. So, um, yeah, it's just that uh, I got to know the professors at, at the, at UBC who were teaching virology and since I had the grades, I was able to get into uh, graduate school through that. And, and I love, I enjoyed virology. I did, I did like virology. Yeah. I mean, you did basically set up a lab that had a lot to do with virology. So I would assume yeah. <laughs> that you like something to do with virology, but I mean, like, why don't you set the, set the scene for us? Like. Not to date you, but like when, what, what year was this, uh, when you sort of started blending that interest in virology and immunology with a PhD, because that's extremely relevant to why you ended up doing what you're doing. So I was a 19, uh, late 1980s, uh, when I was doing my fourth year, um, uh, fourth year, uh, microbiology, oh, my, that was my undergrad medical microbiology was my undergrad. And I was like. Okay. You know, I, I took, when I started the course in immunology, I really liked it. And then I, when I did a fourth level, uh, virology course, I found it even more interesting. Uh, and I kind of found that that was something really unknown about viruses that I just kept, you know, it was something really important, um, that, uh, you know, we were often <laughs> infected with viruses. Nobody knew what virology was at that point. Okay. Uh, it were all of this HIV coming up and, you know, new viruses coming up and, uh, you know, it was, and herpes was a big thing then. So I, my special, I specialized in her, in herpes viruses at Megula especially. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then how did you parlay that early research in herpes, uh, into, I guess your initial amazing work? Uh, with the BC Center of Excellence for HIV and AIDS, like that—that's that's amazing work. Yeah, that was parallel because you know when I when I graduated from uh, my uh, graduate school, um, HIV was a brand new thing. It was just was just been discovered. It was seen on electron microscope at that point, and uh, and then it started coming up as it was isolated, and I I, I found it very fascinating, and um, went uh, you know we had opportunity to. Uh, open a lab, at, like it wasn't me, but it was a center for excellence that opened up at St. Paul's Hospital. They were looking for candidates that would be, uh, would have any pathology, virology background. And since I had a background in cytomegaloviruses and in herpes, uh, a lot of HIV patients would, you know, sometimes have that infection happening, uh, you know, during the, uh, with the symptoms of AIDS show up and uh, CMV retinitis was one of them. So. Uh, with my background, uh, you know, I was, uh, I applied for the position as a research associate and I got it, uh, and I had a very good, uh, uh, supervisor, my boss, she was Dr. Casal, Sharon Casal from, uh, Ottawa and she moved here and selected me to assist her. Yeah. So you played a pretty fundamental role in terms of getting that started. How long were you in research? Because just looking at where you are now doing all this work, uh, with different early stage startups, um, 
you know, that, that, that time may have been useful in understanding the research that it takes to bring different innovations to life, but how long were you in that other world that isn't so directly related? So I, well, I was, um, well, it, it, I wasn't, uh, I did my PhD, it took me six years to get my PhD, mm -hmm. uh, because, um, uh, you know, I had to change my project in the middle of it. Um, so six years in, in, the, uh, doing my PhD, uh, and then I, uh, had my baby, uh, my first daughter and, uh, then I got into research at that point. So that was another five years, so 11 years in pure research, <laughs> basic sciences. Yeah. It's a long time, a <laughs> <laughs> but I, I learned to grow a lot of different, many different viruses like herpes, cytomegalo, uh, some fish viruses. I worked with, uh, I worked with, uh, some, um, some other viruses, the viral viruses, and then I also worked with HIV. So I knew how to grow viruses. That was my strength. Yeah. So you told me, but you also told me, I, I mean, at this point, I, I, I could ask you what your favorite virus was, but I think the, the perhaps more impactful question was you told me a little bit before off the air, um, about your experience working with HIV and how like emotionally harrowing that was for you every day. Could you, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we we would have um, you know a lot of samples coming into the lab, and that that would be really um, it was difficult in the beginning because you know we had to set boundaries of how these samples have to be uh, yeah. you know processed and all that, and you know we often got people in the lab that were not properly trained, and uh, you know I I I was the head of the. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I was basically looking at, uh, at the head of the lab and making sure that they did their job correctly. And sometimes they would not be very careful about it. We didn't know much about this particular, uh, we, we didn't know what else came with HIV. So I would basically say, do not open tubes or anything on the benches. Uh, everything has to go into the hood. So there's a, there was a lot of, you know, um, you know, by the time I go in, I have a headache because I'd hardly be breathing. And then there was only, uh, there was only one other person that I knew at the BC, BC, uh, disease control, uh, who knew how to grow HIV and she showed me how to grow it on T cell. And I had to grow a whole batch of HIV. So that'll be good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we could do incidence control, uh, for our experiments. Yeah. And, and I was the one who was the sacrificial lamb where to do this. And I, I kind of, uh, you know, it was all done under a very, uh, controlled environment where you still got to really be careful how you do it. And one time I remember I was, I was pouring my culture out into it, uh, harvesting the virus essentially. And, uh, it was at a very high count and I was pouring the culture to store them. And then, uh, suddenly I heard the whole negative pressure in the room go hush, everything stopped. Uh. And <laughs> though I had goggles on, you know, double gloves, I, you know, I, I just, and I was hardly breathing in that room because I was always unconsciously not, you know, not breathing well. And I kind of just stopped and I'm glad I wasn't wearing my earphones or anything like that. I could hear the, the pressures 
stop. And I just quickly stopped breathing. I peeled off my gloves, uh, put everything, you know, and just walked out of the room through the, and, and, and then, uh, disinfected whatever I needed, washed my hands, all that, and then called the, uh, the maintenance. They didn't know I was in there and they had shut down the whole system for maintenance because I was working late. <laughs> And nobody told me that we're going to do that. So, <laughs> and I was expecting my second baby at that time. So I was even more scared. But um, I, I, I couldn't sleep for two weeks. And, and then I did go for an HIV test. I was negative, obviously, because I, I had taken the right precautions, whatever, you know, so... Uh, it, it was all good. It was all good. I, I, it, it was, it was, it was, I was just grateful that, <laughs> that nothing went wrong at, at that point. Yeah. I'm stressed hearing that story. Yeah. Like, it was like I, the aerosol. It was stressed. the aerosol that I was scared of because I have, I was pouring the liquid out. It was a huge yeah. count of viruses. Yeah. So those yeah. things happen, but, uh, but nobody here wants to hear about it. <laughs> So you go uh, home with it. <laughs> my, like just, just e even doing that, like the, 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 the fundamental, fundamental nature of your work to developing like combination therapies and mapping genes, like all of that was like depended on like the, 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 I guess, viral culture that you were doing, but the immense stress of it and not being able to share it, that, that must've been so hard. Yeah, there was, there was just no, uh, there was a people to die. It was like, it was, it was a death sentence for these people. So it was, it was work that had to be done. So, uh, you know, it was like, okay, you know, I just, I told my doctor about the situation. He said, okay, let's just do a test and he sent me for a test. I didn't want to alert my department to, I just didn't want to make too much noise, except I did. Uh, let the, uh, you know, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't in my department that happened. This kind of, you know, the, the barrel, you grow the HIV virus in the, you know, controlled environment, uh, and at the, uh, you know, in the, in a particular recent disease control area, you know, in the hospital, the VGH, and that's where I was. And, uh, I guess it was just a, a misunderstanding or I was going to be working there at that hour at 11 o'clock at night. That's the only time I had. Uh, you know, the, the viruses were ready to be harvested. So, um, you know, it's, it was just a miscommunication, but yeah, yeah, I, I, but that virus, that the virus that I harvested, yeah, it did last a long time for us to do a lot of control studies with. Yeah. So, I mean, just even looking at the amazing work they did again in like helping develop combination therapies, um, as well as mapping genes that would allow later on down the line, biotech and pharmaceutical companies to develop treatments such as for PrEP, um, that allow for, I guess, prevention of, or I guess, prophylaxis against, uh, HIV AIDS, like all of that work was contingent on the work that you were doing. So why did you take that pivot out of research? Was it something that you chose to do? Did you always want to focus on the scale up side? Um, or was there another thing that sparked, I guess, that change? So basically I felt that there was no recognition for the work that was being done in the lab. Um, I felt that I was, 
doing the work because I wanted to make a difference, which I was. Mm-hmm. And uh, the combination therapy was really important because, you know, we were doing viral loads, uh, looking at every patient with a viral load. If the viral load went up, uh, it would mean that to switch the combination on that patient. And it wasn't something that we published, or even if it was published, I was not recognized in those publications. Uh, what? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I was treated like a technician. Yeah, basically did my work. That what? That's wild. Yeah, I, I guess is. like what, what was what, what was is. the breaking point? What was the breaking point? Because like I, I know you might not be comfortable sharing, and it's totally okay if you aren't. But like I understand how that would wear you down in terms of like. I went through this for like for a PhD and I'm doing this fundamental work without this fundamental work, like nothing else would have been done. I understand if it was a gradual wearing down, but was there like a, like, you know, a straw that broke the camel's back? Cause I mean, under all the stress that you're in, like, I understand if it, if there, if you just were just like, this is enough. Yeah. There was a time when my, well, my boss had to leave because she found that was a glass ceiling for women uh, in my department. Um, And then. I was the one who was doing uh, work, got on to doing some of the work that they needed me to do. And um, I also wanted to work on, uh, I had a methodology that I, I, I was almost, I had almost developed in paper on how to detect CMV retinitis uh, in AIDS patients. And I wanted to get that work done, but that I was in the middle of trying to finish off one one uh, experiment and I found out I had a lump in my breast uh, and I didn't think much about it, but then I got a call from my doctor that it had to be removed. Um, so I said, well, I can't right now. I'm just middle of something. I'm waited two weeks uh, for <laughs> to finish this really important work that I was doing because I was mapping a particular resistant genes to, um, uh, to a particular drug that would, uh, that it was a cancer drug that, that was being tested in combination therapy for HIV AIDS patients. And, uh, I got everything done and then the, well, you know, we, we mapped, managed to map, I was, I was blinded by the study and we managed to map the resistant genes and, uh, the results I, from what I was told was phenomenal when they, um, sold them and I was really excited. But then I was asked to do another experiment. And at that point, I decided to go and talk to the head of the department because it came straight from the head of the department that, that this one particular experiment had to be done. And I told the person who came to tell me that I cannot, uh, I, I will, I'm in middle of something, but I'm going to get back, back to you. And it didn't go well. And then I went to see the head department to explain the reason why, um, I went in there and said that, you know, how quickly did you want the other experiment to be done? Because I cannot do it right now. And before I could explain that I would have a lump in my breast and I delayed it and now I need to go and get it out. Um, he just screamed at me really loud. Oh, <laughs> I don't mean, I I have a father who, who's never screamed at me. And so I had never been treated like that in my life. When you my, my parents, my mom, my mom's strict, but my dad never. So I'd been screamed by a man, uh, who was my, my boss's boss. Uh, and, 
uh, I was like, when my boss was, was gone, so I had to report to him and I was like, I, I just got up. I didn't know what to say. I was kind of in shock because I was just in shock. And, uh, when I got out of his office, it, all the people working in his office had heard the screaming and they all got up to see what was going on. I was very embarrassed. Uh, you know, I was this research associate working hard and I knew there was a glass ceiling, but this was just something that was like, and really broke that, that broke me. Yeah, I, I went through a nervous breakdown actually. I never told anybody at work. So next day when I was going to work, I told my husband, I cannot go to work. I can't. And he was shocked because, uh, he knew how dedicated I was. I said, look, I can't, I cannot make a difference there anymore. Um, and I, I, and I didn't tell him I'd been screamed at because he, he, he was like, he's a cardiac patient. He just had a heart attack a year earlier. So I just said, I just, I just, I think it's the pressure of the breast lump and all that, but, uh, he had to drive me straight to my doctor and had my doctor had to call work saying that she's not coming back for two months. She's going to have to take leave of absence. So my surgery was delayed again because I had to go on antidepressants because I had a breakdown. <laughs> and then, yeah, then I went through my surgery. You, you went through all of this yeah. to, 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 well, number one, be so dedicated to your work, but also the yeah. ramifications of work circumstances result in even further delay of something that was like of utter import to you, that your health, like to, to delay yeah. two weeks before mapping, like that is dedication. It, it, I, you know, I, and I'm really glad I still did what I did is I did make a difference at a lot of people's lives. Like perhaps what I did in indirectly, I may have, and I hope I did, mm -hmm. uh, but this was something that, uh, the way I was treated, it was, it just opened my eyes that, Hey, I have a family. I could be dead tomorrow. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'm, 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 I'm trying to treat one kind of disease. I have an, I have a disease. I couldn't look up to myself. I have children. I don't have a husband who's very well either. Yeah. So that was eye opening for me. So that was when I decided I was just going to take a clean break. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I guess. So you took a clean break, you had your surgery, you were, were, were treated with antidepressants. So how did that turn into running a metal fabrication company? So I, 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 you know, I, I did go back to work afterwards, but just to okay, okay. catalog everything that I could catalog everything that I had. And I wrote yeah. everything. I completed my work. I was that dedicated person. Yeah. And I and I thanked them for for giving me the opportunity to work in the department. And I left. Didn't burn any bridges there. But then I uh, took a break, and and uh, three months down, my husband said that the the money that we'd invested in one of the metal fabrication companies was going under. And apparently, I I was on the board. Uh, of that company. And, uh, I decided to look up the books and, uh, nobody wanted to, you know, I, we, 
I, my only choice was to try and turn this around and otherwise the company would have to declare bankruptcy. So he said, why don't you just take over and see what you can help with there? You know, if you want to do something, because you, you, you budget, you made did budgets for the lab, you did everything. You know, you, I think you do have a business, you know, you are business savvy. So why don't you do that? And he, he mentored me, he trained me on accounting, he trained me a lot of things, how to run a company. And they were all men. The reported to me was the opposite. <laughs> it was like 15 men reporting to me. And I kind of felt odd because they were all so nice. And I did not play that ruthless CEO there. I did not do that. We were a team. I learned a lot from where I was, never to play that. We had diverse people. We had people that were in the minority. And that was, we also brought in women to work at, at, as well. And I was trying to, you know, introduce a mixed culture there. And we created a very wonderful team there. And I enjoyed working there. And we turned the company around. Yeah, that, I mean, to turn the company around with no previous background in business was like that. That's an, a really interesting story. But what I want to dig at as well is like, what were your thoughts going from someone other research and scientific background to one of more of a managerial um, and entrepreneurial lean? Because like the, the, the main, I guess, concept I'm trying to bring to light here is the, the often dichotomy upon which research, uh, in academic institutions and industry is often placed. So did you feel out of place at all? Like, was it weird well, to you? You know, I think I, I, the thing is of what, what I have to be really appreciative of that because I had a PhD, I had the discipline, yeah. discipline of learning new things. And because I, I, you know, helped build the lab, I did the budgeting, create everything like, and also I had to order the metal, actually order the metal fabrication, uh, parts for the Hawkins, you know, from Hawkins for the, for when we are, you know, doing the, the sap, you know, the, for the laboratory, mm -hmm. uh, they had to be exact, uh, the pressure, everything had to be exact. So I had to, I had that experience, you know, when I, when I was having built that lab. So, you know, with all that, you know, uh, and, and I was doing the budgeting and all that purchasing and everything. So with all that, it just, it just somehow started to become very natural. And my husband was a, he was a very good teacher. So I learned how to put the, the, uh, you know, accounting systems in place and everything. And, uh, you know, the budgets I'd done over there, I somehow, you know, I learned how to do them better this time. Uh, and also, you know, go for ISO certification because I, I had to certify, get this lab certified over there. So I had to do ISO certifications for, uh, because we were a precision metal part company. We were a high technology company. So, you know, I had to also, uh, treat that, uh, company with just as much respect because it depends, like these parts are used for robotics and for instruments that are really important. So, you know, that respect had to be given to that, that field as well. So that discipline went with me, except I had to learn the business side of it, which I yeah. loved it. I really enjoyed that side of it and enjoyed working with lovely people. 
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of How It's Med. If you liked what you heard, the best way to support us is to go to your podcast platform, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you like, and to give us a rating and a recommendation or a comment so that others can best find us. If you can't do that, then we'd really appreciate it if you could share your favorite episode with those that you care about and who you think would find our work interesting. Till next time.